correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Welcome to Opcast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. Our podcast has in-depth reviews of the books covering everything from first edition to the newest story path edition of the books published for the Trinity Continuum, including Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, and more, including Anima, which is what we're talking about today. Today, I am the only host, but I am joined by Daniel Lausanne, Dominic Parent, and Dixie Cochran, who I am excited to have on here. Excited to be talking about Trinity Continuum Anima because this is the newest, the new first new game that's going to be coming out for the Trinity Continuum, which is yeah. an awesome thing. So before we jump in and talk about the game itself, I just want to ask, who are you all? Why are you here? What sort of things do you want to tell us about yourselves before we start talking about Anima? Josh coming in with the big existential questions. Who are you? Why are, Why you, are here? you here? <laughs> what is the meaning of life? Well, you see, Too back in pressure. 1977, two people got married. Hmm. And then a few <laughs> and then eight years later they had a kid. And that kid was me. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, I'll start. I'm Dixie Cochran. I'm an in-house developer at Onyx Path Publishing, which means that I am a full-time freelancer. Uh, on a year-long contract, I, I handle most of our editing. I do a little bit of writing, as uh, this this team knows more than most other teams, actually. Um, and I'm super excited about Anima and have been since it was first brought to the Monday meeting, which I can talk about later. Um, I am Danielle Lozon. I am the Trinity Continuum uh, core kind of systems lead. I have worked on the mechanics for every single Trinity Continuum game that's been put out so far, uh, including games that have not yet been put out so far. Yeah, Um, (laughs) literally all of them. Literally all of them, um, including this one. Um, So I wrote the vast majority, and by vast majority, I mean all of the new mechanics having to do with the... uh, the world, uh, how to play the game of synesthesia. So, or the world of synesthesia. 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 Every time I read it, it's synesthesia to me. (laughs) You could just say Terra Surge. Terra Surge is the game, but like the world, like, wow, I'm so glad somebody said it out loud to me because I've been saying that wrong in my head for the past months, months, months. I honestly like that it's like synesthesia because I feel like with glass, you probably can like taste colors. So, you know, yeah, yeah. if you want to call it that I'm not yeah. like, there are people who pronounce things from World of Warcraft incorrectly 20 years later. So I'm not going to ding you on not knowing how to say synesthesia like right off the bat. Yeah. And just to put a bit more chaos into it, I say it as synesthesia. So oh, there you go. See. Oh, and, and who, and who, are, who you? are you? Are the you? Voice? Yeah. Right. <laughs> who am I? Who am I? Uh, I I'm, I'm a level 39 human. Uh, <laughs> No, just kidding, because, uh, of course, Anima deals with uh, MMORPGs. Uh, but who am I? I'm, uh, my name is Dominic uh, Parent. I'm from Canada. And uh, contrary to both of my colleagues here, I don't directly work uh, with uh, Onyx Path. I was just 
lucky enough to pitch a game to Richard Thomas and he thought it was cool and brought it to the team. And then the team came back to me and said, yeah, we're in, let's do this. It sounds you were awesome. selling yourself a little short. You did some 11th yeah. hour writing on the book that I think is going to be really good. Well, thank you. Uh, yes, I, I did. I, I did do writing on the book specifically, but I mean, I'm not affiliated to any other games or I'm not in charge of mm -hmm. specific aspects uh, under, under uh, Onyx Path. But yes, I'm part of this team here working on, on this book. Yeah. And this book is going to be cool. The reason it's going to be cool for anyone that isn't aware yet, if you're totally unaware, one, the Kickstarter starts tomorrow. We're recording this the night before the Kickstarter yes. starts. I, While I want to get it edited quickly, I don't imagine that I'm going to get it out tomorrow. But You're not going to get it signed in the next 16 hours? I'm going to not. Why, why, why did I show up to this? I don't know. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I, I do up. think that uh, we will be getting this out soon. The Kickstarter will be going on when we release this. So um, hopefully you have watched the videos, read all the interesting information on it. But the cool thing to me about Anima is that it's going to be a two-tiered RPG setting. You've got the cyberpunk setting. And you've got the lit RPG setting set in an MMO that is happening in the world. And I think that sort of dichotomy and setup is really, really interesting. So I'm going to start a question. I have uh, multiple questions that I want to ask all of you, but I'm going to start a question with Dominic and say, Dominic, you had the initial kind of uh, instigating idea for this that you pitched to Rich Thomas. Tell us a little bit about that pitch and how it kind of evolved into what we see now. Okay, uh, well, how long do you have? Because <laughs> um, honestly, I don't think anyone, like, even I don't think even Dixie knows the full story behind that uh, because th this game started uh, well in the distant lands of Canada in the ancient days of the 90s, actually. Uh, the, the original idea started back when I was in high school, and uh, back then it was it wasn't even imagined as a game. I, I wanted to make movies back then, and it was this typical '90s era flick. It did, did, didn't even try to make sense. Uh, it was about the digital world leaking into the real world, uh, and the games players were the only ones who could save the world because they could interact with NPCs, cast spells, and such. Um, and back then, it was really meant to uh, empower geek culture, because uh, for those who were alive in the 90s, we were not cool back then. We were, we were really all of us, not. All of us are part of that class, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, exactly, right? Very much. So it was, it, I don't know, it was kind of my way, I guess, of, of kind of fighting back against that time. Uh, that's, that's how it was, like, in the 90s. Obviously, I did not become a famous movie-making person, um, so uh, that didn't happen. But the idea stayed with me throughout the next couple of decades. Uh, it, it, um, I still believed in the unique concept of telling stories that bridge the digital and the physical world. So one day, my girlfriend convinced me that I should make it into a tabletop RPG instead. Which, which made a freaking ton of sense because I've been playing RPGs for uh, since the early 2000s by then. So I had about- That's about when I started. We're like on the same wavelength there. That's yeah, cool. yeah. 
<laughs> um, I, I think it shows in a book though, like there are two parts of what we wrote are entirely compatible, but probably more, more on that later. Uh, but yeah, I thought the idea made a lot of sense. So I spent a couple of years creating the digital world and its, its peoples. And this time I actually did spend time uh, trying to make the whole concept make sense because it wasn't a cheesy 90s movie anymore. It was a tabletop RPG. So it, people needed to understand the setting to be able to interact with them. The science behind it needed to make sense. So I came up with uh, shards which allowed folks to essentially have sort of portable holodecks, kind of. Mm -hmm. And through that, the digital found a way to interact with the physical and vice versa. So it became a game where gamers secretly fought for their lives against digital monsters in city streets by casting spells and all of that. Um, and one of the big difference was that now both worlds had dangers in it and both worlds were needed to tell the story which I won't spoil because much of that is, is uh, still in there. So that is there the game are, that I- yeah. I was gonna say like, there are some setting secrets that we will not be going into because that is for when you decide to read the manuscript. Exactly. you play the game. Exactly, right. So that is essentially the game I pitched to Richard Thomas and it had themes of, of identity. It had themes that are very much inspired by the lives of of spoke of folks that spend their lives online or playing RPGs and, and all, all of that and and bringing those into a tabletop RPG space. Um, so that's a game that I, I pitched and essentially what happened is that it got merged with the Trinity Continuum because I'm telling my side of the story, but Ian, if he was here, he would probably have just as interesting as a story telling the, the history of Anima because I brought in what essentially was the digital world and Ian had this concept mm -hmm. uh, of a game that was the physical world but needed the digital. So both, it was like both pieces of a puzzle that were always meant to be together but never knew the other one existed until Richard Thomas saw both parts and was like, well, hey, put them together and we got this whole new thing that fits perfectly. So uh, one of the big change, to get back specifically to your, your question, how the idea evolved, one of the big change uh, when it became Anima that happened is that uh, the technology in the era of 20D Continuum uh, that we wanted to make this game in couldn't support solid holograms. So shards became glass. So fortunately, no, we no longer get to cast cool spells while fighting digital monsters in the streets anymore, but that's okay. Uh, there's, there's plenty of cool stuff going on for it. It was a sacrifice that, that, was, that made a lot of sense and I was uh, happy to make it, mm -hmm. uh, but pretty much everything else, the themes, the exploration on identity, the new ideas that spawn from the digital layer, like, like don't make me get my main. That, that's something <laughs> you can say in game, in this particular game, right? Um, the, the MMORPG setting itself, the overarching mystery with uh, disappearing players, all of that pretty much remains as it was. Um, there were a couple of changes, but quite frankly, to my perspective, all the changes were pretty much straight up upgrades. Uh, just looking at, at Terra Surge, uh, be careful, Dixie, there's a bunch of flowers going coming your way. Uh, but Terra Surge itself, uh, got a, bu a bunch of cool new bells and whistles uh, thanks to Dixie because uh, well for one thing she trimmed it down to something readable <laughs> because 
I don't know how many pages of documents you had to sift through. I have but... no idea how much you're working to just to jump in for a second. Doc- right, right, yeah. Dominic brought to us all of his documentation on TerraSearch, which included like the history of all the different peoples, the history of Synestia itself, the planes, the like secret stuff happening, all this stuff. And I had to trim it down to 30,000 words, which sounds like a lot, but is not a lot when it comes to the amount of material that Dominic had. So uh, I, on average, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I mean, it's just like, I had to pull out some stuff, um, but also leaving the stuff in that would be the best story hooks in my opinion, yeah. and also in like Eddie's opinion, et cetera. Um, it was it was a really collaborative process. I like felt like I was collaborating with Dominic, even though it was after the fact. Like mm-hmm. I didn't run as much of my stuff by him, but I was definitely reading everything he had sent me to inform my chapter. And like my chapter really is our chapter um, yeah. because a lot of the words are his. Like there were sections where I like copied entire paragraphs over and essentially just gave them a really strong edit. And was like, that's a good paragraph. It doesn't need to be changed. And then there were some things that I added whole cloth or changed completely, but it was for, you know, playability. Yeah. And and quite frankly, I I, I agree and have been repeatedly delighted by the choices of what you, you decided to keep and by the things you added to it, quite frankly. I mean, that I, there's not a single thing that I read in the chapter that I went, huh. It's like, no, every time, everything that I saw that was slightly different was like, awesome. Like, I, I really, really hey. enjoyed your work on that. And that's why I can easily say, like like I was saying before uh, we started the podcast, like, I, I don't see it as my baby anymore. Like, literally see it as, as a shared custody because uh, it you treated it with with care and respect, I, I guess we could say it like that. Like, you you... You did a great job and you you didn't change it for changing it. You did the changes that needed to happen and you uplifted it to something that was even better. Oh, thank um, you. And one of the things that I really liked that you said uh, that you did uh, is you made it more inclusive and uh, customizable, which is not something that I willingly didn't do. It's more like I had so much to do that I got lost in the details. Yeah, yeah. And, and with your past, you saw my mistakes and the things that, that would not have passed quite as well. And you, you just put that out and um, rewarded it in, in ways that were just way better. And I was each time I was like, oh crap, thanks. Awesome. I love this. I wouldn't even call them mistakes at this point. Like there are things that I wrote 10 years ago that wouldn't pass muster yeah. today. There are things yeah. that I wrote five years ago that wouldn't pass muster today. And so since yeah. I'm working on this, since like you said, the nineties, there are exactly. some things that just pop in that you're like, Oh, maybe not that. Um, yeah. But honestly, I, I don't think you would write that today if given the option. It's I just a matter not. of how like times have changed. And there was nothing in there that made me go like, eh, which I've, I've seen some things I've been editing that make me go, eh, you know? Because yeah. um, really like, I think Eddie, when we talked about me doing that chapter, I think he really wanted me on that for two reasons. One, I'm a longtime MMO player. So I know what I would like in an MMO. Like I love character creation and character customization. And so I want that to be a big part of it because it's the future and you can do even more than you can do now. Mm-hmm. And characters are really customizable now. Um, and then also like there were things I wanted for quality of life, like being able to step away from somebody if you're being griefed or if someone's harassing you, it's really easy to just like back yeah. out of that and be like, no. Um, Love that. Unless maybe it's a bug or there's something weird going on and then that's an actual conflict you could have. Um, and I think Eddie, and I talked about that because it, it, it's partially my background as a big gamer and also as a gamer who has said a million times in the past cast that, you know, 
I won't play games where you can't play as a woman <laughs> uh, because I have very strong feelings about character customization, uh, but also as an editor, because I think that for a lot of your stuff, he really just wanted a developmental edit on it. Um, and that's why so much of your words stayed pretty much the same with just some, some cuts. And some things had to be really condensed, like the history of Synestia. Mm. It's beautiful and it's complicated. And I would love to someday detail it maybe in a companion or a stretch goal if we get that. But that like, I couldn't fit it in this chapter because it was about what made it playable. Mm. And the prehistory isn't what makes it playable. Like if you're going to make a game set in modern times, you don't start with the Big Bang, right? Right, and exactly. And like, that's how Synestia started. It was two planes crash into each other and then yeah. it happened. Um, and I, I, I could have left all that in there, but that would have left so little room for the peoples. Mm -hmm. And the peoples and the geography are what make the game interesting. Like you don't Completely go into a game agree. usually for the history. You go into a game going, what do I get to play? Where do I get to go? What do I get to explore? So, yeah. So I mean, I, earlier yeah. you mentioned customizable characters. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that's a mechanical customization or a story customization. Where does that sort of customization of your, uh, of your character within Terra Surge fit? I will say a short piece and then I will let Danielle do all of her stuff because for me, it was only about cosmetics for the most part. That's that's what I like that and just having a bunch of classes to choose from um, because, you know, it's MMO. You want customizable classes. You want to be able to play the same class, maybe slightly differently, et cetera. Um, that's, that's something that I think most people that play MMOs know. And like even games that aren't MMOs, like I've been playing a lot of Divinity Original Sin 2 recently and being able to customize your characters in that is a really big part of it. Like, okay, so you start as a huntsman, but maybe you want to add necromancy to that. And you can totally do that if you want to. And I think that's very cool. Um, but for me, it was mostly about player customization as far as the graphics. So if you're a Trovian who are our, our, our fish people, they're like fish, shrimp, crab, octopus people, uh, all different kinds of sea life. I want you to be able to be a terrifying cephalopod warrior, and I want you to be able to be what I played recently in a game, which was like a very sexy little beta fish mage. And I really wanted both those things to be equally viable. Um, and so I made a lot of decisions about how the only real rule is that you have to be vaguely humanoid, and you can't have more than the normal four limbs, although you can have more limbs that are cosmetic. So if you're playing an octopus person, you have two limbs that you can do stuff with. And then you might have other ones that like form a very cool tail or like wave around you while you're doing things. Um, and that's fine, that's, that's great. But because of the way that MMOs work, your armor and your weapons need to be able to slot into that, you know, two hands, two feet-ish kind of thing. Um, which doesn't take away from prosthetics, doesn't take away from magical ways of getting around, but it, it does mean that like everyone needs to have that equal playing field um, because that's just how MMOs work. Um, but past, past that, it's really customizable as far as how you look. Uh, and I, I, I talk a little bit in that chapter about how popular streamers will often just pay someone to make their avatar look really cool. Uh, because why would they put in that work? They have the money to give somebody else that job. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where a lot of my stuff came from. Also having a completely customizable base that does not have to hew to the laws of Synestia. Your base can be an underground hip hop club. Your base can be a Baroque castle. Your base can be whatever the hell you want because once your player, like once other players enter your base, they're opting into your experience. And so if you want to have a super like sci-fi alien spaceship base, you can do that. Um, it won't mechanically do anything different, but it's a cool place to hang out and have a party. Uh, and then as far as the actual classes go, that's where Dee did all of her work <laughs> and did some amazing work on making them feel unique and interesting. Yeah, so um, as far as customizability on um, stuff in Terra Surge, essentially you're creating mini characters um, 
that you play within the game. So your, your main character, your training continuum character gets built like a training continuum character, but then Mm -hmm. you get to build some Terra Surge characters, some animas, um, and each, uh, each anima gets its own character sheet and the, but its character sheet is much reduced. And so one of the challenges was making sure that, uh, you know, a, a thing that happens in MMORPGs and things that happen in, you know, <clears throat> games in general, where it's, you know, you, you try to have a, a balanced setting is that things get a little samey, uh, especially mm-hmm. MMORPGs, right? You, you have so many skills that you can pick from yeah. anybody who's playing that class or that class and race combination. They're going to have this set of skills and every, you know, every, Every mage in WoW is, you know, every arcane mage in WoW looks like an arcane mage. They press the same exact buttons. Right. There is no difference, right? And so, you know, I, I wanted to actually capture that while still giving players the ability to feel like their characters can can feel different from each other if they pick the same class. Um, so one of the things that we did was... Uh, you know, I took a lot of, I also play a lot of MMORPGs and I took a lot of um, in, input from a bunch of different sources where, you know, Dominic had come up with some, you know, interesting peoples mm-hmm. that were part of the world already, um, some interesting classes that players could play in the world already. And I just took those things and said, okay, well, if you're playing this group of people, you know, what is a, what is a a power that would make sense for them? And Mm -hmm. then if you're playing this class, like what are, what are their powers really look like? And then can you customize like, oh, I want to be kind of tanky. You know, I I wanted the characters to feel like, really feel like they were playing an MMO. So, you know, we gave them roles, you know, you're doing DPS, you're doing tanking, you're doing healing Mm -hmm. or you're a support character. And then really customize the powers to support those roles, but then give people the ability to pick outside of those roles if they wanted to, you know, pull a little from, from something, you know, I don't want to, I want to be mostly, you know, I want my character to be mostly tanky, but I want to pick up this, you know, extra utility thing or this extra thing that does damage. Um, So there's definitely the ability to be more customizable, but then there's also the ability to just follow a script. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, oh, I want, I want to build this and then here's the script for it. And so I think like, I, you know, spent a lot of time trying to balance player choice on that of like, uh, if I just want to throw together a character really quickly, like we built a bunch of characters when we were play testing or just doing anima, mm-hmm. uh, builds. And I built like three different animas at different experience levels in like 10 minutes each. Yeah, I was I, I was on that playtest and like it was so easy. There were like a couple of things I had to double check, but really yeah. like building your animas is very easy and it should be because right. like do you want to spend an hour on character creation in an MMO? If you're me, maybe. maybe. Um <laughs> maybe two hours. Who knows? I can tell you the first thing I do when I get in a new game is I fuck around with character creation for a very long time. Uh, but you could also go like preset done. Like that that's okay. And it's, it's fine if that's how you want to play. And it's especially fine if you're making a throwaway character. Because one cool thing about Anima, um, or uh, about Terra Surge, it's so confusing, sorry, it's all the terms. Like Terra Surge, Genestia, Anima, but Anima the game, but Anima the person, I don't know. Um, but like one of the coolest things about it is that if you're just hopping into the game 
to like check something and maybe you're not an avid player you you might be like a little level one character running around with your yeah. friends like level 30 character being like i don't know where i am i have to go talk to this guy to get my information about cascade you know um and that that's cool for me too where you're like someone just goes i don't know give me a rogue you know boop and button if i can maybe jump on that like an, another yeah. thing you 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 can that's unique with this game is like you can potentially spend all this time building your your perfect main for example and you can also just throw in a couple of alts that maybe mm-hmm. you'll just use the pre the, the pre thing like maybe your main is is a fearless but you want to have like a mage alt or something but you don't want to spend an hour building that character right now one of the design goals was that if people needed to oh, we need to log in, but we don't want to log in in our mains and mm-hmm. we need to make alts. Like in game right now, there's a reason for us, our characters to log into the game and make new characters right now in the middle of the game session that they could do so quickly without it interrupting the gameplay mm-hmm. um, and without it hurting the, the pacing of the game that they're playing. So you can sit down and build an anima very quickly as part of your game session without losing a bunch of time because now you've entered character creation mode because you know character creation is a part of playing a game but character creation mode feels very different from gameplay mode mm-hmm. and so you know one of the things that we wanted to do was allow people like oh i need to make a new anima you know for whatever reason in the middle of the game session and and go through that within a few minutes without destroying the pacing of mm-hmm. of the game itself or you know breaking down into and now we're in character creation mode. Um, so that that was important to me in designing, like how do you make these characters to make sure that people could just very quickly throw something together, use a pre-build, use, you know, use a scripted uh, kind of way to build the character mm-hmm. and then jump right into it. So with from a mechanic standpoint, these animas are using the same dice system as the core Trinity Continuum system, the story path system, or is it slightly adjusted for so, that play? So the, the dice rolling system is exactly the same. You're still rolling D10s, you're still looking for successes, and you're still mm-hmm. adding enhancement, and you're still overcoming complications, you're still hitting difficulties, and that's where the similarities end. Um, I mean, that is the core of story path, uh, right? So it preserves the core of story path, but it brings the attributes down. Uh, you have three attributes. Uh, it brings the skill list down. You have, I, I don't remember how many, but it's like 10 maybe altogether I'm looking, skills. I'm looking right now. Uh, you um, have nine skills and three approaches. Right. Um, and all of your skills, not, not, not all, well, most of your skills have, have sub skills. Right. So, so there's like yeah. crafting can be in different things. Right. So you have sub abilities that you get bonuses on. So if you're doing this, you just automatically get some enhancement to do it. Um, and that's how we handle, like, essentially you have this main skill, but then you may have a enhancement for doing a specific thing within mm-hmm. the skill. Um, and then you just, instead of adding dice, you just get a straight up successes because you're, you've, you know, classed into that specifically or whatever. Um, and so those are kind of giving your character permissions to be better at specific things. Um, we also have, uh, so you can just play the game like it's Trinity Continuum, right? You can set challenges, set difficulties, roll the dice, overcome complications, play through it just like you're playing Trinity Continuum. You just have different dice pools. Uh, but we also built a system that is like, we've called it a quest system. 
um, where you can shorthand doing things like going on a quest, um, which involves much less rolling um, and is you mean, more. You mean you don't want to roll for each of the 20 bears you kill to try to find its pelt? Right, exactly. Um, but, you know, there, there'll be quest givers in the game, just like an MMO. And yeah, you may mm-hmm. have to grind something like I got to, you know, this guy wants me to go collect bear pelts and I've got to, you know, go out to the to the dirty wastes and kill all the, the you know, rad bears there or whatever they are. Um, <laughs> and And there I am, like, you know, nobody wants to roll for every single bear. Did I get a pelt? Instead, we we can shorthand it of, all right, well, there may be trouble getting there. There may be trouble once you get there, then also you need to, you know, do the thing and then, then turn it in. And it's like a kind of a, another way to kind of script some of the things that we see in MMOs. Mm-hmm. And that might be important for the, the game, the story that you're telling, but aren't so important that you want a blow by blow of everything that's going on. So yeah, the, the mechanics are much more simplified as far as like what you're doing while you're in Terra Surge um, to ensure that that gameplay feels a little more unique. Um, it, like it feels different than what you would be doing outside in Cascade, mm-hmm. but it's still recognizable. You don't need a different set of dice. You don't need to, you know, you don't have to learn a whole new system. You're still looking for successes. You're still adding enhancement. Yeah. Honestly, I think a lot, a lot of the stuff you did is really great because it lets people opt in or opt out as much of the MMO as they want to. Yes. Like if, if, if you want to just jump in to try to find, you know, Mike who went missing, um, then you could just jump in and try to find Mike with like a quest system or just that's, that's all you're doing. And if you want to spend three whole game sessions, like doing a raid and Terra Surge, right. you, you can do that. Like yep. that, that's great. Um, it's, it's totally up to you. I, the, the basic conceit of the game, which I think it's funny, we actually haven't like mentioned what the setting is really just outside of loop around so back to that, we are so. <laughs> yeah. um, but like one of the like cool things about the game is it, it really is intended for you to jump in and jump out um maybe not every five minutes or even every, every session i know that there's an actual play uh that eddie and i did with polyhedron podcast with with scott um as well uh where like we spent i think two or three sessions total in anima out of nine or in in Terra Surge out of nine. And the other sessions were all spent in Cascade, which is the real world setting. Um, also, Terra Surge obviously isn't the only MMO that exists. It's just the one that we're highlighting for this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, have, I have made many, many jokes uh, that are not actually jokes about taking like one one break out of your anima game to play Pugmire or something and just use that as another mm-hmm. game you're playing on Glass or to play, you know, um, Exalted or whatever like it's just some other game that you're playing on glass it's fine uh and i think that would be really really fun <laughs> much like i've seen people take a break in their vampire games to play they came from and be like oh my vampires went to go see a b movie for halloween let's play a ridiculous game and like same same idea uh so yeah i am i am excited to hopefully get into some of the other worlds that might exist which also is one of those things that like maybe in a companion or future book depending on how this does uh, it would be cool to see some other game worlds uh, that exist, even though Terra Surge is the most popular. That would be cool. Yeah, that would I, be neat. I, I have ideas. If, if we go there, you, if there's you have ideas. Open... Oh, yes. I, I have other worlds I would like to make if the opportunity is there. And I'm sure you do too. 
So one thing that I want to kind of uh, loop back on is the idea that this is uh, in two worlds. So you've got Cascade, Mm -hmm. which is part of the Federated States of America, Mm -hmm. which is a fraternity continuum, folks. If you're listening to this podcast, I assume you are. Uh, That is a major location in Aeon. And this is set in 2084, I believe, Mm -hmm. which is a smack dab between the aberrant war and the aeon setting. So this is going to be kind of that in-between space where lots of things happened that are really important to aeon and things happened in aberrant that become super important to the setting. And you, it sounds like the setting for this is this one city of Cascade, which is an arcology or a, 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 a manufactured, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, a city in the Federated States of America that is also home to lots of people playing Terra Surge. Yes. Yeah. Um, although they do have their own server for Terra Surge because you can't have them talking to some other people, especially not those weird lunar colony folks. We can't play with them. That's, that's not okay. Uh, yeah, no, so... Cascade is really interesting in that, yes, this game is cyberpunk, which means that it will in- inevitably end up kind of dystopian, um, because that's the point. Uh, but it is set two years, like just, 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 just a few years after the rebuilding from the Aberrant War. And so currently, Cascade is shiny and new and beautiful. And the price you pay for living somewhere shiny and new and beautiful is having things like glass implants or people watching you 24 7. Uh, but they're not at the point where it seems like your player characters might be at the point where it seems suspect, but most people are at the point where it seems like a paradise. And they're not seeing, like, think of the like capital from Hunger Games to the people who live there, right? It's a beautiful, shiny city. Everything's fine. Uh, If you look right outside of it, it's not. And it's probably not actually inside the city either. But people are just starting to maybe catch on to that and only a specific set of people. Um, It's also one of my favorite things about the setting that's kind of a a little footnote that that some people have have, have noticed is that it's set two years before the banning of AI, um, which which is a thing that has, has, has happened in Aeon. Um, and there are AIs that run Terra Surge. Um, there, there are also real people that work on it, but the main narrators are for AIs. Um, and so like, what's, why did it get banned? I wonder, let's, let's play the game for the next two years and find out, you know? Awesome. I love that little like layers like that, particularly in a game that in the t- Trinity continuum where it all could line up with one another from mm-hmm. all the way from adventure onward. You have all these connections and linkages and story also, we ideas. have talked about it now. We also have Aether, which is even pre-adventure. That's right. <laughs> I am also excited for uh, anything Trinity-related, and you've got me excited. But mm-hmm. Aether is going to be awesome. Um, here's a key question that I think is going to be interesting to see what all of you say. What would be a key element of the setting that you think people are going to overlook initially? I think uh, I think that Dixie pretty much just gave my answer. I think it's going to be the narrators, <laughs> probably the narrator AIs. Uh, they're, they're, I think there are interesting ways of, of bringing narrative elements that aren't necessarily immediately obvious. Um, and same with some of the systems of Terra Surge that is not necessarily the game itself. Like just to give 
a simple example that Eddie used in the, the actual play with uh, uh, Polyhedron. Um, they're looking for someone who disappeared and they, they, they were looking for footage of when that person disappeared. And there's a mechanic in Terra Surge where they're, they're, they allow people to stream all the time. It's perfectly yeah. fine. But if they're going in a zone where they want people to experience it for themselves, there's something that's called the, the spoiler tag. And if you're watching someone stream, then you can't hear what they're, they're hearing anymore and you can't see what's happening anymore. So it stays a secret in game. And this character that disappeared was just essentially walking through one of the main cities of the game called uh, the Broken uh, Broken Promise, my favorite city in the game. And uh -huh. like there, there is never a reason for the spoiler tag to to pop up in that that city. It's just not a thing that happens. But in Eddie's story, he made that happen, and there's a reason for it. And this simple element that can only exist in this game was used narratively. And I'm thinking it's probably going to take a little bit of time before people get used to using these new tools that we're giving them. Yeah, so there are new storytelling tools that aren't yes. super common in other storytelling games. I think that idea, that, uh, that element is really particularly enticing to me because it makes me think I get to tell a different story than the ones that I am used to telling yeah. in ways that players are going to understand kind of intuitively, particularly yes. if they're video gamers. I think exactly. all of that's fascinating. Yeah. I think um, personally, so I think there's a whole lot of setting going on in both like Cascade and in Terra Surge. And there's a, there's a lot there. And I think it's going to take people playing a little bit of time to wrap their heads around the ways that the things that are happening in Cascade and the setting there integrates into things that are happening in Terra Surge and the setting there, right? We have this, you know, very cyberpunk uh, world that, you know, isn't as, you know, it's not as nitty and gritty as a lot of cyberpunk is. Cascade, no, it's still very new. Cas yeah. Cascade isn't the, you know, everything's shit. Everything's treated like shit. Everybody's poor. Everybody's, you know, everything sucks. And so they just kind of suspend their lives in synesthesia because that's better than being in the real world. It's not quite like that. People, people are still very uh, enamored with Cascade and, it, and enamored with the FSA, even though it's not a good place. And so the, the, the cyberpunk reality, I think, is one that is unique on its own because it is one that I think people, you know, they have a, a thought in their head when they think about cyberpunk, mm -hmm. right? And the, and the, this level of cyberpunk is, you know, instead of, oh, everything's corporate controlled, everything's corporate greed, like there's some of that there, but this is more like the level of government control is so high. Um, and the, the sticking it to the man part of cyberpunk is, you know, it's still there, it's still important, but it is also integrated into this lit RPG aspect of the game. And so I, I definitely think that people are going to have some, some like mind work that they're going to have to do to recognize all of the cool aspects of this cyberpunk world 
and also how it integrates with this kind of lit RPG game that has been created. Mm-hmm. So a question on that, we obviously have Cascade as the main kind of setting, but mm-hmm. is it possible to set this on Luna, for example, Dixie mentioned that earlier, or is it possible that I can go somewhere else and still uh, use this book or am I going to have to kind of uh, develop some of those elements on my own to really make a, a different setting work? As of right now, you'd have to make a different setting work a little differently. Terrace Surge can be fundamentally the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is that a lot of the other, like we chose to focus this on one city as opposed to every other Trinity game that is very expansive right. um, because it, it kind of needs to be focused on Cascade uh, because of the conceit of like, uh, the FSA messed with this version of the game. They're 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 not gonna let their citizens play a free and open MMO where they can talk to anybody in the world. And so they went in and they poked some things, and those things might have made some other things come loose. And now shit's happening. Um, now that's not to say that you can't just say that exact same thing happened on Luna. Sure. Um, and if so, that's totally fine. It's just that we're not going to give you Luna in the book. Um, right. Now we've we've talked about too. Once again, if we do like stretch goals, depending on how this Kickstarter goes, um, it'd be cool to do some other settings and like what else is happening in 2084 in the world. Um, but currently, this is really focused on Cascade, and it's it's just it, it kind of needed to be because if it's a worldwide thing where like players are disappearing and everything else, then the different world governments are all going to get in on it. It's going to be a, a completely different game because most cyberpunk games are very like city focused or like place focus as opposed to being world world spanning yeah I think um I think one of the things that you think about whenever you're like you know one of the things I like to ask people is what do you do in this game right Mm -hmm. and what do you do in anima is you play in a very specific city and all of the conflict all of the what you do in the world is generated by the fact that you're in cascade and the fact that you're playing Terra Surge on Cascade's server. That's where all of the conflict of the story is generated. That's where all of the story elements are generated. And that's where all of, you know, the what you do in the game is generated that we have created for this game. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you could be playing Terra Surge out of, you know, literally any other city, you know, out of London or whatever, but it, none of the elements that we've included as this is what you really do in this game would be there Mm -hmm. so it would be a setting and it would be an engine but it wouldn't have any of the driving factors yeah like i if you if you think of a media property like for instance the handmaid's tale which i'm i'm a big fan of the show you know yes it's it's difficult as hell but it's a i think it's a good show like if if you're saying like oh can i set this anywhere but in gilead like no you can play a game of something else happening elsewhere in the world but you're not getting that story and that's kind of how this is. It's like, you're not going to get that story. Now, if you wanted to play a bunch of, you know, European terrorist Ridge players who are trying to break through to the FSA servers to be like, there's something weird going on over there. We want to see what it is. That's also an interesting story. And I, I wouldn't stop anyone from playing that. Like, I no. I will never, you know, like the RPG police are never going to come to your house and take your books. Um, <laughs> even if occasionally we, we would like to. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but yeah, when, when it comes to this, like you really can make it your own setting, but this really is about Cascade. And I mean, in, in the same vein, like you, you can take it in that direction, but there's been also a bunch of people who have been 
saying that uh, maybe they'll want to focus specifically on Gascade or specifically on Terra Surge, you can yes. do that too. Mm -hmm. That's yes. perfectly oh, yeah. good. Uh, right. And there's also been people who have been saying they want to do a, a dot act type of, of story where mm -hmm. you're playing someone who's stuck, uh, yep. a, a physical person who's stuck inside of Terra Surge. And that, I think that could be awesome as well. And we're giving yeah. you the tools you would need to do that. It's yeah. just not the story we're, we're telling, but right. you can still do, do all of that if that's what you want to do. Yeah, no, my, my absolute number one influence that I kept citing when it came to this game and like the reason that I said, like, I really want to write on this because mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of Tad Williams's Otherland quartet yeah. of books. Yeah. And that is like the, the premise of that is that people are getting stuck in a VR world. Yeah. And it's someone going in to save her brother. It's also one of the more diverse cyberpunk casts I've ever seen as far as like who the main True. characters are. Um, like your your main, main protagonist is a South African woman um, who is who is of, of African descent, not of white descent. Um, and she's fascinating and her whole story is fascinating. And like, it eventually spans most of the world if you look at the whole story, but it starts out as this very contained story of like, kids are going into VR and then going into comas. What the hell is happening? And then other people get trapped in, in the, the VR world. And that's kind of where the quartet of books kicks off. Right. Um, and I love this book so much because most of the adventure happens within various MMO worlds and within various online worlds. Um, like, how does it feel to suddenly be a 2D cartoon when your whole body feels it? That's weird, right? Yeah. And like, how does it feel to stumble into a world where you're like, honey, I shrunk the kid size and like bugs are trying to eat you. And also if you die in the game, maybe you die in real life or go into a coma. You don't know. Um, so like, that's all really, really interesting. And that's a lot of what I wanted to play with was, was being able to say like, what happens when you get stuck in this game or what happens when people disappear in this game? What, what is happening to them in real life? Are they kicked out? Are they in a coma? Are they gone? Are they missing? Um, and you asked earlier what our favorite like bit of the setting was that might be overlooked. And for me, it is actually some of the ramifications of glass itself. Um, glass is a brain implant. It's a neural implant. Uh, my, my lovely boyfriend wrote a lot of it. So he and I sat here and talked back and forth about glass versus Sarah Surge and what it could do. We, we were both writing. Um, and like, it, it can fix your brain. Like I, I, I have various mental illnesses. I'm very open about being neurodivergent and like technically glass can go like, you need dopamine. Have, have a molecule, boop, and just rewire your brain to be not depressed. But what does that mean? And like, yes, it's technically always with your consent, but is it really? Is the FSA rewiring your brain to make you more complacent? Um, are there things like, like, we also talked a lot about cyberpunk and disability, because if you look at some cyberpunk games, you lose humanity for being yes. disabled, and that's weird. Um, because I know lots of people who have prosthetics or hearing aids, or look at the, I, I see an aids on my face right now, they're called glasses. Um, and I am not less human because I have to look through glass to see properly. And that's something else that we tried to really stay away from. Um, I think the only caveat was that at some point somebody was like, well, what if you just loaded every single, you know, martial arts program onto your glass and you were the best martial artist in the entire world. And it's like, well, your brain would overload unless you actually like put in the time and energy and practice because sure I can put a program in my glass to make myself know how to do what Simone Biles does, but my muscles won't do it. Right. And so like, it, it, it still takes training and like same with if you tried to download every single library in all of history into your head, your brain would overload. Um, so that's how we kept people from becoming just like weird superhumans with, with their glasses. You could only have so many things installed at a time. 
but also what is your glass maybe doing because it is like they 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 worked with the fsa when they started developing some of this like it's not a totally cool thing it seems really cool because you just have a little thing implanted into your brain where you can go like i'm in vr now bye um but really that's kind of terrifying giving people that much control over your your mind and i think that's something that I haven't seen played with as much in actual plays yet and would very much like to. Because um, yeah. also there are different kinds of installations of glass depending on if you're a first or second class citizen. And then there's people that don't have glass and there aren't very many of them. But if you do are playing one of those, then how do you join into Terra Surge? You have to go to like an actual terminal and log in and then you're like stuck to that terminal while your friends can be like, you know, riding in a car somewhere. So yeah, that's it's. it's I would like to see more of that in the future, the like just various fallout from glass and what it can do. That sounds awesome. So um, there are, there's so much I want to deconstruct there and so many questions that I have, but I don't want to steal all the thunder of the possible like, like secrets of the setting either. Um, but I do We're not going to tell you the like, like big one. Good, good. Right. Don't worry. Don't worry. We won't tell you. Yeah, you can't spoil it because we won't let you. <laughs> good, yeah. good, good. And so, also anyone listening to this, if you've read through chapter, I think it's chapter eight, the storytelling secrets chapter on the Kickstarter, um, at the point where like, don't, don't spoil it for people. Let, let, let people read it or not read it as they want to. And I strongly encourage anybody who plans to play and not run the game to not read it. Because there are some fun reveals that I think are more fun if you are playing the game. Cool. So it does lead me to one question though. How do Syads or Novas or anything like that fit into this setting? Do they, or is this mostly a talent and non-talent sort of setting for Trinity Continuum? So um, in the time of Aberrant, um, being a Syad was uh, indistinguishable from being a Nova. They didn't know the difference. And so anybody who was actually a Syad was just called a Nova. Um, And Novas are illegal. (laughs) It is. Quick answer. (laughs) It is deeply illegal to be a Nova. Um, Yeah. After the the Aberrant War, everybody who was a Nova was kicked out. Um, And lots of them left uh, or were killed. And so, and now it is very illegal to be a Nova. So if you... Um, if you erupt as a Nova or, uh, you, you know, become, you know, inspire as a talent talents are better because people don't really recognize that talents are what they are. Um, but you know, if you're a Syed or you're a Nova, you're going to be in deep shit. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they are, we don't include them as playable characters. That isn't to say I'm again, not going to come to your house and burn your books if you do. Um, you know, if you want to try to do like a dark star Nova or, you know, a, a, a low key Syad in the game mm-hmm. setting, um, just know that, you know, your, your story guide should be putting the screws to you. If you ever use your powers in a way that's obvious in front of people. Also, you get an implant in your brain and that if there's too. anything in your brain, that's wired differently. It might notice. Right. Um, so yeah, like we, we didn't tailor this for that kind of character. Yeah. It is definitely tailored for, 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 for talents mostly yes. or, or non-talents, just yeah. mortals in general. Um, one of my, my favorite things about it though, that is not completely explicit, but that we've talked about several times in actual plays and everything is that obviously if you have brawl as a person that doesn't translate to your brawl in an MMO, right? No. But if you have 
knowledge of Terra Surge, like if you're a high profile streamer, then maybe when you're looking up a Terra Surge secret, you can roll your person stat instead of your Terra Surge stat. And that's something that we like, usually we just do it as a house rule at the table. But I, I, I really love that, uh, partially because my, my last character was like a, a high profile streamer. That was her whole thing. And so whenever there was a Terra Surge question, it was like, well, my character only has lore one because she's an alt because I'm not on my main character because I'm a high profile streamer and I would get mobbed. Um, but I have been here before. So can I roll, you know, X? And usually the answer is yes, because it makes sense. So a lot of the mental skills, I you can translate sometimes but not always like sometimes they don't make sense at all but sometimes they make perfect sense and i really love kind of logicing that out at the table and then just doing what's most interesting and to jump in on that too uh something else that i find really interesting that can only be in this game uh as you say like maybe you you have brawl but your 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 anima doesn't and but the mm -hmm. reverse is also true uh let's say in in anima you're this badass level 60 fighter. When you get into a fight, you can be overconfident. Your, mm -hmm. your relationship, the way you interact with a fight will be in a certain way because you know you're going to win this. And worst case scenario, you're going to respawn, right? So what happens when you take that person and that person gets stuck in a real world firefight? afterwards yeah. like they never actually heard again gun. go off in their head yeah yeah exactly this is like you've been in, in like maybe this is your fifth fight since the game started but this is your first real one this is an actual bullet buzzing yeah. next to your to your head and and suddenly you don't respond suddenly i feel like there's this contrast sorry <laughs> there's this contrast between the two types of, of, of encounter that you can't have anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I have, I have played a character who in real life was very like, don't you know who I am? I'm rich. And then in anima, I was like, I, 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 I'm a fish person. Because um, yeah. you can't pull don't you know who I am in Terra Surge unless you are a very well-known character. Um, and that's even that's a crapshoot. Like, I don't know the names of most Twitch streamers and I stream on Twitch sometimes. Uh, so yeah, like it's, it just matters to your, your audience. Um, although I will say Dominic and I feel like D might've felt the same way when he started that sentence about like, maybe you've like done a little, a lot in a video game, but then you're in real life and you can't, I had flashbacks to like every boy I knew in high school who had a leather trench coat and like a weird <laughs> hat and had seen Boondock Saints one too many times. Uh-huh. And like thought that they could kick anyone's ass if you, you know, it yeah. was dead, dead, dead to the wire. And you're like, no, no, no. please, please go away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had like a like visceral feeling of like people I knew and, you know, 2002. I, I apologize <laughs> for bringing that back. It's okay. It was just funny. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, we all know them. They've, they have, they've all been to a LARP at least once. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that uh, there's some we've talked about some influences on the setting and everything like that. Mm -hmm. One book that came to mind when we were talking about this, that for whatever reason I hadn't thought about until just now is Kilobyte by Piers Anthony, which is one of the uh, earliest game or game to reality type VR books that I can remember reading as a kid and it came out in 1993 and is very much about these people who live inside a virtual reality world mm -hmm. almost full-time because things in the real world just aren't great for them and 
now I want to run that in Anima. And I'm wondering about like, are there any other like kind of un, unusual or surprising influences from any of you that you would say, hey, this is a thing that you might not think of that is an influence on this game. Wait, which Pierce Anthony book did you just It's cite? called Kilobyte. Oh, Kilobyte. Oh, Kilobyte. Okay. I don't think I've read it. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend Pierce Anthony to most people in the year of our Lord 2021. But nope, um, I wouldn't weird either. Funny, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I, I read a few of those fantasy books when I was younger and I'm like, ooh. Yeah. He's weirdly well. horny. Those particular books definitely I would avoid. Uh, but this one was an influence on me and an influence on this particular setting, which is why I mentioned it. But otherwise, avoid Pierce Anthony. 100% agree with that. But question still stands. Are there any other, uh, you know, sort of influences that you would be like, hey, this is one that people might not be familiar with. That would be an interesting influence on this game. I'm actually trying to go back and look at our influence list because there was a one point where Eddie was like, write up some influences and we gave him too many. Oh, yeah. Like I everyone had, was like, I have ideas. Oh, yeah. I had so many. Uh, oh, here it is. Here it is. I, I don't know it. what made it into the book, honestly. I, I don't trust some... the book either. Um, obviously, all the ones that you would expect are in there: Snow Crash, yeah. Diamond Age, Dream D, Otherland, which I already mentioned. Uh, Watch Dogs Two got brought up, which has hackers in it. A lot of anime I haven't seen because uh, I haven't seen much anime. But obviously, things like Sword Art Online, uh, Dot Dot Hack, mm-hmm. uh, Mirror's Edge got brought up a couple times. Yep, Mirror's yeah. Edge is definitely in mm-hmm. that vein uh yeah no there there were a bunch of like honestly every time it got mentioned like this had as many inspirations as deviant the renegades and that book is like all inspirations yeah um because i feel like everybody brought something to it um often in the cyberpunk or you know stuck in a video game realm those are like the kind of like two things and occasionally they came together like with other lander or or snow crash but um yeah, no, there were there were so many influences, and I, I do not remember what most of them are. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to go back and look and see where we had that conversation. It's cool. It was kind of a, a particular yeah. question that I thought would be helpful for listeners. That would be like, "Hey, this is a thing that I can do in the game." But I think we've talked about a lot of like good good influences already and mm-hmm. a bad one but we've talked about you know some <laughs> other like um inspirational media and right. i think that Tron. is a good thing Tron <laughs> is a great yeah. one um lots of good cyberpunk media that's out there that you can bring into this uh and just kind of adjust it a little bit to fit if that's the type of story that you want to run or play yeah yeah i know that all of us were like battling over chapter quotes as to like what we could use yes. and also my mine almost got rejected for being too long uh because my chapter quote is the description of the first time hero protagonist plugs in and snow crash and goes nice. to the metaverse yep. uh because that's what i wanted i like wanted like that feeling of like okay you're, you're you're entering something else entirely but the quote is like a paragraph it's very long yeah and like yeah and he was like maybe i, I i'm like, like let me keep it please and the last time i checked it was still there i i don't know though um People who have seen any of the chapters via the Kickstarter are probably more in the know than I am at this point. Fair. I I haven't I haven't looked at the like the full like everything in a really long time. Yeah, <laughs> like, me either. It's been a hot minute. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been doing a lot of looking at just the character creation chapters because of doing like playtests where I didn't need all the other stuff. Like all I needed was you know your Cascade character and your animas. 
And that's pretty much all I've been looking at for the past little bit here. Cause we did a lot of uh, backstage play tests. And then of course we've done a couple of streams including the polyhedron one that is ongoing. Uh, that was really, really fun. Uh, that was like, like I said, we, we, we recorded that in like three, three hour sessions and then cut it into nine episodes. And Eddie was amazing. Like, I think that it was right after Invincible had come out. And so Eddie was really good at like sliding in the title in a really weird place, like partway into the episode every time. Um, and then also just actually stopping after an hour every time or so. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know how you planned this, but okay. All right, Mr. Webb. Good job. Yep. Nice. Pacing. People definitely should watch that if you haven't yet. Um, it yes. is out there. It is really, really well done. Um, I still need to catch up. I started the first episode and haven't really. I'm bad with watching and listening to actual plays, but it is. I really don't like well watching done. actual plays personally. Like I love being in them, and I will occasionally watch them if like a good friend is on. But they don't hold my attention the way they do for some people, and that's that's just a difference of media you enjoy. That's that's fine. Right. <laughs> one thing I like about this one it's it's just an hour. Like yep. I I, I watched uh, the entire first campaign of Critical Role, and some of these episodes are five hours long. Oh my god! And right. that's just way too much. And at the time, the, my job description allowed me to listen to things in the background, uh, but I, b- because I don't have this exact same job description now, I've never been able to get into any other actual play because the format just doesn't fit my, my lifestyle and I can't watch a single episode of a thing that is as long as an entire season of another show right exactly I'm with you so I think we're going to wrap it up but if folks were interested in finding out more about you and the other projects that you are involved in or just want to talk to you on social media is there a way that they would be able to do that or you yes. have to plug in your glass and then you have to go. Uh, no. uh, you, you can find me pretty much everywhere online at Dixie Cyanide. Uh, and I am always in the Onyx Pathcast or the Onyx Path Discord, specifically in the Pathcast channel, uh, but kind of all over the place of the Discord. Uh, so feel free to talk to me there. And we do have an Anima channel, and I hope it will be blowing up because of the Kickstarter. Um, you can find me nowhere. Do not perceive me. That's not true. Um, <laughs> I, you can find the stuff that I'm working on at daniellelozon.com. That's where I kind of keep, I try to update it every now and then as new things come out or new things leave NDA to where I can talk about them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm sometimes a little slow on the update there. Um, I'm also in the Onyx Path Discord. Uh, I kind of lurk there sometimes. I can be engaged in conversation, uh, rarely. I'm also on Twitter. Uh, Only follow me on Twitter uh, at Impernius if you really want to see me shitposting. That's all I use Twitter for. Yeah, D D only shitposts and salt posts. Yep. That's it. Every now and then you'll like show up in one of our discords, like, well, I wrote a thread. It's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I sometimes I promote other people's stuff. I retweet, you know, but most of the time it's just, uh, yep, you know. (laughs) Hey, that's. That is that is the energy that I want from you. That is why I like you. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we just have to lean into who we are, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, people can find me online, yes, on uh, pretty much in the same places. Uh, my handle is uh, at yodin underscore two on, on Twitter. Uh, I'm there pretty much every day. Uh, people can find me, yes, on the uh, Onyx Path uh, Discord. Uh, I hang over there mostly on the Pathcast and the Anima uh, section, but 
Sometimes I show up in other places. Uh, Werewolf, I go, because uh, that's my favorite set setting ever, so you can find me there. I'm um, also uh, on the Gehenna Gaming uh, group Woo. Discord. And uh, for people who uh, want to spend a bit of time with me, uh, I stream every Monday at 7 p.m. EST on Twitch. Uh, so uh, you can check me out there. Right now we're playing the council, uh, which is Ooh, pretty fun. darn cool. Yes, it's really nice. Uh, we're playing it because uh, there's going to be because uh, of the vampire game coming up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> my, my focus right? yeah. is on World of Darkness games, but right now I've played all of them. So I'm I'm doing the council as sort of a, a paving the way to Swan Song uh, next year. Very cool. uh, so yeah, so if you want to spend some time with me, play some cool games, uh, just. I'll be there Monday at 7 p.m. EST on Twitch. Yodan awesome. underscore two. That's the name of the channel there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, every one of you, for joining and talking about Anima. I really appreciated this conversation. And for listeners, remember to keep your arms around the Trinity Continuum. <laughs>